space and time, kind of an interesting uh, topic, um, especially for me being kind of a science fiction geek. But uh, if you want, we're going to eventually be in Second Peter 3, it'll be a little while. Um, again, those charts are out there too, hopefully to help you kind of sum up what we're doing here with the Heaven series. Um, we, uh, you know, the main thing we're always trying to get you to understand is that the belief in Jesus is the key uh, to where you end up. Uh, and obviously our belief and trust in him should be something that uh, we're aware of and, and, and shows in the way we live, obviously. Um, we talked a lot about what we're calling the current heaven. It's the place where people are who die in the Lord now. Uh, it's a place. It's clearly a place. Uh, and then the current hell is where people who are non-believers are now. And But we've really been talking about a lot about the new heaven and the new earth because that is essentially uh, the thing that the Bible talks about the most. Um, if you go back to the very first verse of the Bible, we mostly know this. It's interesting, this verse... Um, says probably a lot more than we give it credit for uh, because uh, it starts off in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, he could have stopped there, right? I mean, we get information. God created, well, what did he create? We created the heavens and the earth. Well, that gives us a little idea what heavens means in this particular context. Um, it's really, there's no word for universe in Hebrew, and so this is usually the way uh, Hebrew uses uh, these two words. So you have the earth, you all know what that is, right? That's where we are. Uh, appears to be round, or spherical. Um, and then everything else that's not the earth that was created physically is called the heavens. Uh, the ancient uh, Hebrews and Greeks had really three heavens. You know, we get messed up when we... Paul uses the third heaven term. The third heaven is equated with current heaven. That's the third heaven. Maybe we could put that little footnote there, and that would be uh, version 2.2 of our chart. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but that's the, the second heaven is the things that's probably talked about here, is the, you know, the planets, the galaxies, the stars. Uh, the first heaven is, where the, is what we would probably call the sky. Uh, uh, and that's... So here we see heavens used as universe and so w when we get words we have to understand what we're talking and heaven is one of those words that's equivocal it has different meanings based on how it's used there's two main meanings in the bible and we're going to look at those pretty hard so heavens plural is every celestial object that is not the earth hebrew does that a lot um, you've got jews and non-jews so who's left nobody now, usually those non-Jews, when you get to the, 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 uh, the New Testament, are called Gentiles. Uh, that, that's it. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. There's not a third category. And same thing here. There's the earth and there's everything that's not the earth. That's it. That's the universe. And you see this in Isaiah 65. Look, I'm creating a new heavens and a new earth. Now, we're talking about that our final place will be on this new earth slash heaven. Uh, but that heaven is where God dwells, and we'll look at that in a minute. But it's interesting that I, Isaiah 65 says that there's going to be new heavens, too. Huh. 
It's kind of, we're going to hit that a little bit today. Um, so Isaiah is really saying there's going to be a new universe. Um, maybe a new Mars. Maybe Pluto will get to be a planet again. That'd be cool. <laughs> Revelation 21, that's one we've been hitting a lot. We'll get there a little bit uh, toward the end. Then I saw, John, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and the sea was no more. Now that's not quite the same as what Isaiah is saying. It, I think he's really talking about the place where God dwells here. Uh, although, by extension, you know, we know that there'll be a new universe. So heaven singular usually is where God dwells. And we'll look at some examples of that. Why does this matter? Because this is the place you're going to get to live the rest of your existence. The existence you have now is very, very short compared to this. I was a math major in college, and, you know, you take calculus and differential calculus and integral calculus and, you know, all those fun things, right? I thought they were fun. Um, but you, you get to the point where mathematically you're, and I'm not trying to belittle your life by any means or my own, but the life that we have here is zero years, mathematically. We'll talk about why. <laughs> because the rest of your existence is infinite. And so when you compare something that's finite to something that's infinite, the finite fades away. We've been talking about that a little bit. Are we, are we living for the infinite or living for the finite? You, know, you didn't know math would be so important in theology, did you? you know, I, I have to admit, there probably were better undergraduate studies for being a pastor than math and computer science. Um, but they have come in quite handy, especially in this series. But, uh, so the two uses of heaven. The first one is a universe. And it's usually plural. You see this in the Old Testament and the New for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. When you see that, that's that, think universe. He made everything. We get this in Psalm 19, a great verse, or a great uh, chapter. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So that's really that heavens there is really those second and third, you know, maybe the second heaven. The, the universe declares and the sky above shows his handiwork. Uh, Paul picks up on this in Romans 1 that we're without excuse. People say, well, how do I know God exists? He hasn't talked to me personally. And Paul says, well, look up. Where did this stuff come from? How is it so ordered? You know, the more we learn about our lives, both the cosmos and when we get down to, the, they say, the, the telescope and the microscope, the more God seems to show himself. And it's not like I get my microscope and it says, I am God. But we see things like DNA, which is billions of instructions of code. And every time we look at code in our lives, it looks like there's somebody doing the coding. Information. Information comes from agents, from persons, you know, so Paul kind of hits on that. You're without excuse. You know, we've had that before. You might have asked that question. I know I did as a young Christian. What about the person in miscellaneous island that hasn't heard about Jesus? I think Paul answers that. Do they have water? Do they have trees? Is there sand? Do they see stars? Does it rain? Then they're without excuse. And if they're truly seeking God, they'll see something's going on here. And, of course, the New Testament will tell us that God will get to them. And sometimes that's us. 
<laughs> getting to them or helping people get to them. In Isaiah 45, for the Lord is God and he created the heavens and the earth and put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. So essentially what Isaiah 45 does is kind of sum up what Genesis 1. We forget Genesis 1 isn't the only place that talks about creation. And, and, and well, chapter 2 does too. But one, it's you know, Job talks a lot about creation. There's more texts outside of Job, many more. The Lord created the heavens and the earth. He put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in. Do you know that's what Genesis is saying? You all know the two Hebrew words in Genesis 1, right? Mot to mot, right? Usually it gets translated, the world, the, the, the earth was formless and void. You've heard that. Or really those two words are, the earth was, with, was in chaos without order and uninhabited. And what does God do? Well, the first three days, he orders it. And the next three days, he inhabits it. <laughs> And the rest of the scriptures tell us about that. Isaiah, just a summary. A lot more about that than we think. So when God spoke from Mount Sinai, it says in Hebrews, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. So it's not just the redemption of the world or the earth. It's also the redemption of all the universe that happens at the second coming. I don't know if you knew this, but... The second coming of Jesus, which is on your charts, is a really, really important event. Could you think of anything more important than the second coming? I can think of maybe one. The first. And they're both quite important. The rest of them, just moving around deck chairs. Those are the two main things. So that's the heavens. We talk about, in, in, you know, in the Hebrew thought, obviously they didn't understand the science and stuff, but they, they don't violate any of it. It's the idea of God created everything. We, they could look out and see stars just like we could. They weren't, you know, nitwits. In fact, we're probably more nitwitty than they are. But the other way you use heaven is God's dwelling place. We, we have that in different places, and we'll look at the way Peter talks about it in, in chapter 3 of his second letter here. But Genesis 24, 7, For the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and my native land, solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. That's Abraham talking. The, the idea that the Lord, the God of heaven, you see that. Well, what, we're not talking about the God of Pluto and the God of Alpha Centauri. We're talking about the God. This is where God dwells. And you, I mean, I, we better talk about this real quick. We had in a couple sermons before. This is my take on it. It's kind of a Star Trek take, but you do what you want with it. Um, I look at heaven, this current heaven now, because um, we all have people we know that died in the Lord, right? Um, and we say they're in a better place, and they are. Uh, but where is this? You know, you get the, the, the different people who say, well, you know, the astronauts went out there, they didn't see God. It's like I would be surprised if they would. It's, I look at it, and you can do, if you don't like this, then don't get your own metaphor. But it, to me, I see them as like a different dimension. 
you know, a, a different way of interacting. That it's just as physical there as it is here. It's just that we can't access that, and they don't often access us. But sometimes you get a crossover. You know, we get Gabriel shows up and Zacharias easy. You know, that happens some. That's the way I look at it. That God is in heaven. It's a place of where He dwells. But we know is God physical. No, God is spirit. It doesn't mean he's not real. It just means, he, you know, we can't see him, all things being equal, unless he reveals himself to us. I don't know if that helps you or not. If you want to talk more about that, text me, email me. If I don't like your question, I'll just ignore it. But uh, <laughs> now nah, I'll try not to do that. So. People have said, you know, there's no bad questions. And I'm like, eh. I, but really there aren't. I mean, that's how you learn. In uh, Nehemiah, Nehemiah had found out that even though they could go back and rebuild Jerusalem, the, the, it was a mess. Uh, and so he says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And the reason they're saying this is because there's other gods in there, other gods, other worshipped idols that aren't in heaven. That's so they're making this. Yahweh's the only one that's in heaven. That's his dwelling place. In Job 15, you get just a little bit of a nuance. Uh, Job's an interesting book uh, for a lot of things. It's a real good book of faith. Um, it's got some suffering in it, too. Uh, Behold, God puts no trust in his holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in his sight. Well, there's the heavens used universal, but it's the spiritual beings he's talking about there. That's kind of interesting, you know, the way that's used. Once in a while, I just wanted to give you, this happens all the time. I remember in Hebrew, we always, the Hebrew, this word always means the same thing except when it doesn't. That's hard. How do you know? Context. That's the only thing you can use. And we do the same thing with words. We're going to look at some English words in just a little bit here um, that we mess up on. In Job 16, even now, behold, my witness is in heaven. Well, who is this witness then? Yahweh. And he who testifies for me is on high. Um, boy, this is a hard assignment, but I'm very tempted to give it to you this week. I haven't graded any of your assignments yet, have I? You know you get extra points if you do the assignments. And maybe when we're in heaven, we'll figure out what those points mean. Read the book of Job. It is amazing if you just read it. Take, if you want, take one of those green Bibles out there and, and read the NLT version. Okay, if you can't do it all today, uh, I'm sure you're busy. Remember the welcome? <laughs> but yeah, work through it. It's kind of interesting. We think it's about suffering. It really isn't. It's about faith. We think it's about Job. It's really about God, <laughs> which is, again, isn't that why we're here, to know more about God? And then the Lord's Prayer. It's in there twice. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There again, we're not talking about may your will be done on earth as it is in Venus. It, it's, it's, again, his dwelling place. So you got to know which one you're using. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, Second Peter 3 gives us a lot of information about the new heaven and the new earth. A lot more in here than just in Revelation. Um, I'm going to go back and start at verse 1 just because 
I got the mic. I can do what I want, I guess. Um, well, we're going to hit 5 through 13. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets. We just read one of those, Isaiah 65. And the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, Matthew 24, 1 Thessalonians, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days, the time after Jesus' crucifixion, with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as before from the beginning of creation. So the question here is, why you said he's coming back, he's going to do all these wonderful things, a new heavens and a new earth, it isn't happening. What's going on? We have that today. They had it back then. Um, for they deliberately overlooked this fact. And I love that. This fact. Not this opinion. Not this, you know, idea. This fact. That the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged in the water and perished. So... Heavens there. Is that where God dwells or is that universe? This thing on? It's universe, right? We're talking about, he's talking about the universe here. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exists are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this fact, and don't please do not misuse this verse, beloved, that the, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. That's not supposed to be a math formula. It's a metaphor. It means that God doesn't necessarily do things in our timing is really all it's saying. It's not that you can say that, you know, that, you know, that I'm... Um, you add up the days of your life and say you're that many thousand years old. It's not the point. Um, this is the point. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So one of the reasons Jesus isn't coming back yet is because he's still got people he wants to be part of his family. How he wants to do that, he'll figure out we've got our job, right? make disciples. And this 10 is very good. It, Jesus hit this a lot. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in life of holiness and godliness. So what's his conclusion? Since all this is going to be gone eventually, perhaps you should be prepared for what's going to be recreated. That's what he's using here. It's, it's, it gives us some cosmology, certainly, but it gives us some theology of how we're supposed to act. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's really good, don't you think? I mean, if you haven't read this, this is pretty good stuff. 
I mean, this is, you know, Revelation sometimes hard. We'll look at 21 and 22 a little bit here toward the end. But this really sums things up. You know, how was the earth destroyed or the, the world, how were the people destroyed in Noah's day? What did God use there? Water. What's it look like he's going to use here? Fire. I don't know how that's going to work. Um, we get a little bit, you know, we get the 1 Corinthians 15 and a twinkling of an eye will be changed. Um, he's going to change everything. Everything is going to be renewed. And 21 and 22 of Revelation are very helpful. If you're ever down in your life, if you're a believer, go read those two. It, it, it can't make it worse. It's really cool to know what's in store for us. And I realize sometimes in our lives we think, well, I wish it was better. I wish it could happen the way I want it. And that happens to all of us. But they can't take that away from us. Nobody can. That is good to know, isn't it? And notice what Peter hits with. And this is the thing we get so messed up with in contemporary churches. Again, what, when is this going to happen? Does Peter hit that real hard? The only time he talks about timing is in verse 10. When? when it's going to be like a thief. I mean, Peter says, oh. He probably even says it that way. Oh. Sounds like a, a Scooby, right? Scooby-Doo. I mean, we don't know. Timing is, that's not the point. He'll, he'll take care of it. He'll, he'll take care of the timing. Just be ready. Are we ready? That's the main thing, because I don't know. I don't even want to talk about time anymore, because somebody will say, well, take it out of context and say, I told you when it was going to be. If I was going to guess when it was going to be, I'm going to do long after I die, so you can't get mad at me. <laughs> I'm not even going to come up with a, a day. I mean, again, well, that God, that's God's job. You know, I mean, it, 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 it's going to be like a thief. Well, why that metaphor? Jesus uses that metaphor and says, well, if you knew when the thief was coming, then you'd be ready. That's why it's a thief, because we don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. So why do we keep trying to find out? The nitwit come in, uh, comes back to mind, doesn't it? Seems, seems kind of odd to be doing that. So when you look at this, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week with Eden. Earth is humanity's first domain of stewardship. God placed Adam and Eve into a garden that was in Eden. Too bad I don't have a whiteboard up here, because if I did, I'd put Eden, and then I'd put the garden, and they put him in there. Eden was not a garden. There was a garden in Eden. Eden was the place that God had made that was starting where they're supposed to start be fruitful and multiply. They were supposed to, if you read Genesis 1 and other places, you're supposed to take care of the whole earth. And how do we do that? Well, we be fruitful and multiply. Now, if you need to know how to do that, then see me after. Out there, we'll, we'll talk about that. The Bible, chapter 4 tells you how to do it in Genesis. Adam knew Eve, and she bore Cain. There you go. That's how the, you'd be fruitful and multiply, if you wondered. But the idea that it's supposed to be stewards, so it's likely that the whole universe was intended eventually. I don't know, would that make sense? I mean, what are all these other planets for? Seems like a lot of wasted space. 
We just haven't got there yet. We got to the moon. That was cool. They're trying to get back to the moon. Show of hands, if you got the chance to go to the moon, would you go? Not one moon. I wouldn't. I'm still trying to get to Northern California. You know, I mean, I, I, there's enough here to, for me, but the moon would be cool. But you think about, I think to God's glory we're supposed to do that. So when you think about like Star Trek, Star Wars, these things, you know, why did a lot, and then maybe you don't like that, but there, there are people, you know, reaching for the moon and Mars. Why do we do that? There's something in us, at least some of us, that wants to see more. It seems there's this God-given longing to explore what lies beyond our horizons. We've, mankind, humankind has had that. Well, where does that come from? I remember Neil Armstrong when he went, you know, he talked about when he saw, that he talked about God. And he didn't say, oh, I don't see God. He's like, well, what God has made, what wonderful. And I'm not, I don't know if Neil Armstrong was a great theologian, I have no idea. But there was some awe there, you know, back to Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. So there's this, well, is it possible that we will get to do that? I mean, probably the main reason I don't want to go to the moon is I don't want to throw up. Because you pull some G's on those things. I've seen the movie. If I could go to the moon without throwing up, I'd probably go. And then there's the whole breathing thing. Uh, you know, I, so I guess the reason I don't want to go to the moon is because I'm a wuss, not because I don't want to explore. Um, so we're, we're finite physically. We're, we're, we're limited. We can only be in one location at a time, but we're going to live for an infinite time, right? We just talked about that. Because you get this term, and we're going to hit this real quick. There's no time in heaven, people have said. I don't even know what that means. I don't think they do either. I think it... This came from, there's a verse in Revelation 10, and this is just a real quick little way of looking at English. In the ESV, which is the white Bibles we have out there, it says, created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it. What this, in Revelation 10, it's between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. Something's going to happen. They're waiting. And right after that, it says, the next trumpet's coming. So it says, there's going to be no more delay. Here it comes. It says this in the NLT. Now that King James says that, and the earth and the things that they're in, and the sea and the things which are there, and that there should be time no longer. And that verse was taken out of context and saying, well, there's no time in heaven. It's like, it's not what it's saying. If you didn't know that, the King James Version was written in Elizabethan English, English of the 17th century. Anybody here born in the 17th century? You know what there should be time no longer means in that English? There'll be more de no more delay. So we got to be careful with translations sometimes. People ask me, do I like the King James? Well, I don't like it because I don't understand what it's saying because I don't speak that English. Well, I like it. Well, then read it. But you better darn well know what King James English means. Here's a, here's a King James English line for you. You all probably know this. Romeo, Romeo. Where far out there, Romeo? We all have heard that, right? We probably had to go through sophomore 
class and read that horrible thing in Elizabethan English and then look for cliff notes everywhere trying to figure out what the heck Shakespeare's saying. What does that mean? Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? We think that means she doesn't know where he's at. That has nothing to do with what she's saying. Because that's not the, you know what wherefore means in Elizabethan English? Why? Most people don't know that. Why? Because you don't speak Elizabethan English. <laughs> Good for you. He's say, she's saying, why are you Romeo? If you remember that story, there's the Capulets and the Montagues. They don't like each other. And those two kids fall in love. And there's no way they can get married without the families getting mad. I know that never happens in our culture. But she's saying, why are, you, why are you Romeo? Why couldn't you be somebody that I could marry? That's what she's saying. She's not saying, where the heck did you go? You know, but that's, again, we miss it. We got to be careful. If you want to read the King James, read it. But you better know King James English. Or you'll get some really weird interpretations, which is what we have here. I know that was a little bit of a rabbit trail, but we're back on our normal. So time is a sequence of events, right? That's all time is. Back before anything was created, if the father said something to the son, there was a time before he didn't say that, right? It's not really that hard. We have this in Revelation 6 where they say, how long are you going to wait until you avenge our deaths? In Revelation 22, we had months. In Revelation 5, we have music, but if you, music has time, right? So don't get messed up. We can remember the past and anticipate the future, but we can only live in the present. And that's true no matter if you're in the new heaven, the new earth. I mean, time is there. It just doesn't end. We'll exist in time and space. Then it's not. There's just no sin or evil. So yes, there's time in heaven. I mean, what if you're in heaven and you all want to meet for lunch? What are you going to do? It's like, well, I can't set a time because there's no time here. Well, that doesn't make any sense, does it? It's just kind of silly. So, the resurrection doesn't eliminate time and space, it redeems them. The last enemy to be destroyed is not time, it's death. That's what we have to remember. And to hit this pretty quick, in Revelation 21 and 22, in those verses you see, it says the sun and moon will be gone. It seems that way, but if you read the text, it doesn't really say that they're gone, it says that they're not needed. What does the sun and moon do? They light up stuff. Well, now God's glory shines, so they're not needed for that anymore. And it also says in Revelation 22 that there's no more night. What well, does it mean that it's going to be daylight all the time? I'm going to have trouble sleeping. You know, one of those weird things you put on your eyes. Uh, could that be figurative of evil and sin as well? You know, Because darkness is not necessarily evil. It's used as a metaphor for evil. But even back in Genesis... God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And later in that chapter, it was good. Night's good. I like nighttime. Fun to go out on the deck, just kind of look into the stars. I mean, that's good. Just, I think, don't worry about that. Well, it's not going to be night. There's no sun or moon. You know, I, I think that's more metaphoric for us. I think we'll probably get to go to the moon. We only had one guy that wanted to go, but, you know. Maybe you will. And then in 21.1, it says there's no sea. Again, does that mean there's no oceans? 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first heaven had passed away, and the sea was no more. I think what that's talking about, the sea for ancient people were, it was very scary. It was a treacherous place where creatures are and you couldn't, it was very dark. They didn't have a lot of electricity back then. Really, the word sea is the word for chaos, and that's going to be gone. But I think there'll be a place for sea creatures to live. Where are the dolphins going to go? What about the, um, the enemies? You know, I, think, I don't think that means there'll be no... And for those of you who like to go to the beach, I've heard people say this, well, I don't want to go to heaven because there'll be no beaches. I don't think that's what this is talking about. I really think it'll be there. It's, it's a metaphor for the idea that things will be ordered. You won't be scared of the, of the water. You won't be scared of dying in the ocean because the death will be no more. And where there'll be seasons? Well... I think if you want seasons, you'll have seasons. I mean, how can you build a snowman without snow? How can you ice skate or go skiing? You know, I think those will be there. Let your mind go. You know, you might think, especially when you live in Iowa, it'd be a lot nicer if it was always warm. Well, there is property in Florida if you want to move, but some of us like the seasons. By February, all of us hate winter, but, you know, Again, it's okay. So you have the new heaven and the new earth and the universe is going to be an upgrade from what we have now. That's what we have to remember. Uh, now, time's not going to be gone. It's just going to be limited. It's not going to be limited like it is now. It's going to go on forever, but it's going to be there and we'll occupy space. It's not like we're some sort of esoteric spirit that, you know, that's Buddhism. That's not Christianity. But we'll be glorified will be redeemed, so will the heavens, the universe. And that's a good thing to think about and a lot to look forward to. Let us pray. Father, we, uh, as we get into these texts, we get closer and closer to understanding more about you. We, we want to understand you. We want to know who you are. Uh, understanding what you have in store helps us do that. Uh, I pray for each one here. I thank you that they've taken the time to be here. I hope that they've got to know you better as we sing these last two songs. May they even better and understand who you are even more as they go into their weeks, uh, their, their days, their months, their years. May they know you through your word, through your spirit, and always through your son. Amen.